Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger at First Baptist Church, Gulf Breeze, located in the heart of Gulf Breeze, Florida. Open your Bibles to Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew chapter 14. So I had lunch with a friend of mine this week. We went to the taco place. And I did something I don't normally do. It was kind of, kind of like out of the blue. I just figured, hey, why not? It was 11.30, and I had made all the decisions for the day that I wanted to make. And so we sat down, we had our pile of chips, and we had some guac, and we had some salsa. And I said, look, will you just order for me? I mean, it's not like a date or anything, but just, just go ahead and order for me. Whatever you order, I'll be totally cool with that. And so he's like, really? He's like, what do you want? I go, no. I don't want to make a decision. No decisions. Just, just order, and whatever you order, I'm totally good with. He's like, okay. So the waitress comes over, and he says, yeah, I want uh, three tacos and uh, extra sour cream on them. And I think Jeff will have the fish tacos. I didn't even think about it. Before I could even process what was going on, I said, no, no, I don't want fish tacos. <laughs> and then it dawned on me, wait a minute. I literally just told you, I'll do whatever you want. It doesn't matter to me. I like everything on the menu. Because in my mind, everything on the menu is exactly the same. Just a different name. You got a shell. You got meat. You got cheese. You got lettuce, tomato. It's a taco. You got a shell. You have meat. You have lettuce, tomatoes, but you add little beans, and you have a tostada. You have a shell. You have meat. You have cheese. You put some sauce on it. You have an enchilada. So literally, it's all the same stuff. It just served differently but for some reason or another, he chose the one thing I did not want. And so before I thought about it, I was like, no, 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 here, let me order. And so I took control of the ordering for my own food back. And it, like, like at that very moment, I, I heard, I didn't hear this audible voice from God going, this is the Lord. But what I heard was, you do that all the time to me. Lord, whatever you want, I'm good. Lord, you just send me here, I'll go. Lord, if you want me to do this, I'll do it. And yet, the, when God says, okay, this is what I want you to do, well, time out, time out, anything but. You know, we've got all these asterisks, all of these, all of these footnotes in our obedience to the Lord, don't we? Now, am I the only one guilty of this? You pull the house lights up, if you will. Let, let me see their beautiful faces. Yeah, anybody else? Let me see you. Raise your hand. Admit it, right? So, so here's the thing. We, don't we live in this constant struggle between faith and doubt? I mean, don't, don't we live in this constant wrestling, this, this, this grudge match between faith and doubt? And it seems as though when we're on the faith side, we're just as strong and as, as sure and as confident as can be. And when we're on the doubt side, we're like, man, I don't know anything. This actually happened to me last Sunday. This is, this is where this text came about. So last Sunday, about 4 o'clock or so, I, I sat down on the couch, which translated means I was intending to take a nap. So I lay down on the couch, and I got my pillow just right under my head, my pillow under my feet, and the air conditioner was set just perfectly, and I turned TV on for a little background you know, confusion, and I just closed my eyes and started to drift off into Never Never Land, and out of nowhere came this question or, or this thought. This literally was the thought in my head. You idiot. What did you just do? 
<laughs> I mean, like, boom, out of nowhere. And, and so what I was thinking was, man, you have, you have pretty much, you have no job January 1st. What, what are you doing? I mean, and then, and then for a solid hour, I laid there in this every negative thought, every doubt that could possibly go through my mind went through my mind. And after about an hour, here's what I said. I said, Lord, I need you to stop this in my head. Because I know what I heard from you. But all of this other stuff is making me really question your voice. And the Lord reminded me of Matthew chapter 14. So Matthew chapter 14, verse 22, is where we're going to find ourselves today. And it's the story of the most incredible experience you could possibly imagine. It's the story of Peter walking on the water. Now, I just think that's cool to be able to walk on the water. I would love to try it. I have tried before out in the Gulf, but I always sink to the bottom. Of course, I have a scuba tank on, so it's cool. But, but you know, walking on the water, I don't know that any of us in here have ever done that. But let me, let me bring you to the point where Peter got to do this. And let me show you that he was not a man of great faith without any doubt. He was a human. So if you've ever doubted, if you've ever heard God call your name and, and, and set you on a course, and then you've, you've stepped back and you've doubted, I want to encourage you today, welcome to humanity. Welcome to being a human. You can pinch yourself and know that you're alive and well because every single follower of Jesus doubts. Every one of us. Now, the nature of the doubt might be different and the consistency of the doubt might be different. And I hope that the older we get and the more mature we get in our faith, the less the doubt would be there. But even the strongest followers of Jesus still have moments of, God, is this really Really what you said? Is this really going to work out? So let's get into the text. So Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he stayed back to dismiss the crowds. Now, here's what's going on here. So Jesus had just fed 5,000 men plus women and children, so well over 10,000 People got fed on the side of this mountain, which happens to be on a hill next to the Sea of Galilee. And he fed them using just two fish and five loaves. So that's a miracle in itself, right? It's, it's the first Baptist second Sunday lunch, or first Sunday lunch. We only had a little bit, but because Jesus blessed it, there was not only enough for everyone to eat and have their fill, but there were also leftovers for the disciples to take with them. And, and those little details tell me that God is so good. He just doesn't, he just doesn't, do, as, he just doesn't do enough. He does enough plus. It's a way of God saying, you really can trust me. I am a good, good father. So on the heels of that, Jesus turned to his disciples and said, all right, you guys go get in a boat and go on across the lake. Now, if you look in the King James Version, it says Jesus constrained them to go across, which means that there was kind of a discussion going on. The disciples said, no, 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 we need to stay and help you. You know, we can help you dismiss the crowd. We can help clean up the leftovers, whatever. But Jesus insisted, no, get in the boat and go on across. Now, we don't know exactly why he did that, but, but the question is there. Why did he do that? I think that maybe he wanted the disciples to get in the boat so that he could go ahead and get the crowd gone without any uh, struggle. Because I think he was able to just go, okay, y'all leave, and they did. 
But I also think that he was doing something in the disciples' life that needed them to leave right then. So it didn't make sense, but they got in the boat and they started across the lake. Now listen to what happens. After dismissing the crowd, verse 23, uh, he went up on a mountain by himself to pray. Now, he did exactly what we would have done the opposite of. For most of us, when we have a great spiritual victory like this, when we have some, some, some moment of, of God just showed up in a mighty way, and you got to admit, feeding 10,000 people with just a one, one little boy's lunch, that was pretty miraculous, right? What most of us would have done is take selfies with the extra baskets. We'd be like, check out what God did, right? Hashtag Feeding the five, I mean, we, we would have done something, for one, because we, you know, we want to make sure everybody knew what God did. But the second thing is, we would not have sent the disciples away. We would have kept them around, and we would have had a little after party celebrating. Man, can you believe? And remember when that guy grabbed a fish, and he looked around, and he's like, ooh, there's enough. I'm going to grab two. We would have told stories, and we would have just spent half the time just reminiscing about all these things, right? Come on, let's be honest. Isn't that what we do? And I'm not saying that's wrong, but I'm just saying Jesus did the exact opposite, I think it's because Jesus was exhausted, for one, just knowing that if you are a human and you are doing this kind of work and if you are are dealing with this many people, you are exhausted. It was the end of the day. We know that because Jesus went by himself to pray and it was there. he was there all night. So we know it was at the end of the day. He had to have been tired. But I think part of the reason, too, was that he was wrestling with his own humanity. Now, this, this is something that people don't really want to deal with sometimes. But we think that Jesus had an S on his shirt for super Jesus, right? And that he wasn't really tempted. It was just like this fake temptation. He's like, I have the power of God. No, no, no. Jesus was fully God, but he was fully man. We know this because the Bible says that he was tempted in every way and yet did not sin. Now, listen. If you are tempted and could not possibly sin, then you're not really tempted. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, if you are tempted, that means that you could go one way or the other. Now, Jesus, to be clear, Jesus never sinned, but he still had to wrestle with the temptation. I think that Jesus went by himself to a mountainside to pray because I think he prayed something like this. Father, keep my heart in check. Father, help me to focus on what you've called me to do. Father, help me not to take the the praise of the crowd and start to lavish in it and want more praise more than I want obedience. Father, help me in my tiredness, in my, in my, my exhaustion, not to sin. Father, help me to keep my eye on what obedience really means. Now listen, again, if Jesus was tempted, as we are tempted, then he dealt with everything we deal with. And isn't that the stuff that we deal with? It amazes me that he was so self-aware of his own humanity that he would send the crowds away, send the disciples away. I think also he didn't want to hear the disciples talk about how cool it was that he fed 5,000 plus. Because that's all they would have talked about. They would have been like, Jesus, that was awesome. Can you show me that trick? I mean, they would have been they would have been. Constantly talk, And Jesus said, no, no, I just need to be alone with my Father. Now, look, I honestly believe we could stop right here. We won't. But I think we could stop right here, and this would be enough to carry us through the week. 
Because so many times we want, the, we want the accolades of men. We want the recognition of what others say about us. We want the, 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 uh, uh, the, the attaboys inside of us that we forget that all that I am is a result of all of the goodness of God inside of us. It's all because of Jesus. And the most dangerous time in your life is when you have a great victory. That's when you should be most scared. That's when you must run back to the Father and say, Father, would you put me in my place? Would you settle me into understanding that this really is about you? And do you know that in that moment, or actually many moments, but in that moment particularly, Jesus could have won the crowd. He could have easily preached a message that was a little bit soft, and he could have gathered the crowd, and they would have marched with him anywhere he wanted to go. They would have hailed him as king. And yet Jesus said, no, it's not time. And that's not the kind of king I am anyways. I'm not here to change the world. I'm here to change the hearts of people. There's a difference. Maybe. And so Jesus stayed on his mountain by himself. And the Bible says, well into the night, he was there alone. He didn't have his ear pods in. He didn't have Pandora going. He wasn't watching YouTube videos. He wasn't listening to some sermon somewhere, he was there alone with his thoughts, with his questions. You ever wonder what he actually prayed? This was going through my mind this week. What was Jesus praying? I mean, after all, the Bible says that he was there all night. And if you look into the original language of the text, it was the fourth hour or the fourth watch, which means somewhere between 3 and 6 a.m. he finished praying. So he literally prayed all night long, I think, I think he prayed, slept a little, meditated a little on the scripture a little. I think it wasn't just constantly talking. I don't, if you think that prayer is just talking, that's really not prayer. Prayer is as much listening as it is talking. Amen? Prayer is as much just being still before the Lord and saying, Lord, what, what is it that I need to see here? God, what, what have I missed? God, I, I, want, I want more of your presence. You know, the presence of God in our life is really what makes a difference in what we do. So many times we bop through life and it's the presence of God that's missing. And as a result, the power of God is missing as well. The peace of God is missing. The joy of God is missing. Because his presence is what brings those things It's the presence of the Holy Spirit inside of your life that gives the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All of those things are a result of God's presence with you. Now here's the deal. God's presence requires, let me say this, sometimes God's presence requires being alone. I would say maybe not sometimes, a lot of times. Don't hear what I'm not saying. God is with us everywhere we go, but when we really want to sense God's presence and when we really want to hear from him, a lot, sometimes we just need to get alone to do that, right? So that was what was going on with Jesus. It was the fourth watch, and so it was three to six in the morning, and the Bible says, meanwhile, verse 24, the boat was already some distance from land. Now, again, if you go back in the, in the text, it's, it was many stadia. A stadia is 607 feet. So 600 feet is 100 yards. So the length of a football field. 
A hundred yards, it was many football fields away from the shore that they were at. Now, here's the peculiar thing. They had been in the boat all night, and they were only that far away from the shore. Now, it was a good distance, but it wasn't all... They should have been able to make it across because the Sea of Galilee from one side to another is only three to five miles, depending on what part you cross. I mean, you can row that far... In, in less than a whole night. But middle half, halfway through the night, they were, they were a good ways from the distance, but they weren't where they were going. Why? Because the Bible says that they had encountered a storm. Now, I want you to hear this. Jesus said to the disciples, get in the boat, go ahead and go, go across. When he said that, there probably wasn't a storm going on. They got in the boat, they started across, and after they started across, that's when the seas picked up. Now, if you like to fish or if you've been in the Gulf of Mexico, you know that it can be an absolute perfect, beautiful day, and out of nowhere, these storms will just swarm in, and it will make you think you're going to die. I mean, it can really be very scary, just, just like that. So the storms came, and I wonder what they were saying. I wonder if, they, if, if knowing them, knowing humans, I bet they were complaining. Don't you think? Can you believe Jesus sent us in this boat? Didn't he know it was going to storm? Hey, how come John's not rowing? I mean, why is he laying in the back of the boat? What gave him the right to take a break? My goodness, that lightning was close. Man, we need to duck down in the boat farther. I mean, all these things are going on in the boat, and yet they were struggling. They were wrestling against the wind and the waves, and yet Jesus put them in that position. Here's something I want you to take away. You don't know if you really have faith until you have tested the faith that you say you have. And the only way to test the faith that you say you have is to put pressure on it. It's to, it's to press it. It's to lay it out and have to use it. And we talk about faith in this general sense. Yeah, I have faith. Yeah, but it's more than this general sense of believing something. It's believing in someone. I, people have faith all the time. They have faith that the pilot is going to get them from one place to another. They have faith that he got enough sleep. They have faith that the mechanics who worked on the plane during the day did a good job and didn't forget something. Faith all the time. But the faith we're talking about here is faith in a person, the person of Jesus. You say you believe in Jesus. I say I believe in Jesus. That's not the question. The real question is, what kind of belief do you have? Do you believe him enough to where when everything looks different with your eyes, what God said is what you will do? Do you believe him enough to where you are willing to go in a direction that doesn't make sense, but that God clearly spoke, and because he clearly spoke, your answer is, yes, Lord. I love the Indiana Jones illustration, right? So he, he's, he's got to go from here to there, and there's, there's no pathway. And I haven't seen this movie in, gosh, 30 years, 20 years. But if, you, you all know who Indiana Jones is, right? For a few of us old people. So it's basically he had to take a step, and when his foot came down, a, a step was there. And every step was into nothingness, and every step actually was firm. That's what faith 
really is. It's not knowing what's there. It's knowing the one who said it will be there. And so Jesus, the Bible says, uh, Jesus sent them off into the, wall, uh, into the boat. It was fairly early in the morning. And when they saw Jesus walking on the sea, they were terrified. So in other words, the verse before it, Jesus came toward them walking on the sea very early. When they saw him, they were terrified. Their first thought was not, oh, it must be Jesus. Now, I'm just trying to logically think through this. My first thought, I think, would have been, oh, it's Jesus. Because, I mean, I, I, I say that like I'm, I hope that would be my first thought. But, I mean, think about it. Jesus said, get on the boat. Jesus just fed 5,000. You saw him spit in the ground and make a guy see. You saw him raise a guy from the dead. I mean, he can do it. So, it's only logical Jesus isn't in the boat. And so, this person coming to us must be Jesus. That's, that's what we would think. But their first thought was, it's a ghost. And they were terrified. Isn't it funny how our minds go to the worst case scenario most every time? Anybody? Right? First, worst case scenario every time. Usually it's not a faith case scenario. It's a worst case scenario. They were terrified and the word here means that they were, they were, they were, they were like drowning in fear. They were so afraid they would have been, uh, they would have been shaking. And Jesus spoke to them. Have courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Let me translate that for you. Yo, what are you afraid of? It's your boy Jesus. So what, that's, that's what he was saying. He was saying, hey, don't be afraid. It's me. Oh, you, you liked that, didn't you? I've been working on that all day. Here's the deal. When he said that, Peter immediately answered him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. Now, I've always thought that this was the dumbest thing he could possibly say. Because I've always thought that he said it, and then he was like, wait a minute. If I were a ghost, I would actually say yes. That way you'd get out of the boat and die, and it would only have to be 11 people I'd have to fight in the boat as opposed to 12. Right? I mean, this is, but I don't think that was the case at all. I think what Peter was really saying was this. Now, look, this is just my, my trying to understand this. I think Peter was saying, Jesus, I want to walk on water too. I don't, I don't think it was as much as prove to me you're Jesus as much as it was, hey, if you really are Jesus, let me walk on the water too. I really do think so because after all, Peter was always the one who was wanting that little bit extra. He was always wanting to experience the very next thing or the, the next step of it. And so he said, Jesus, if that's really you, tell me to come out. I want to walk. I think he was on that high of knowing that Jesus was commanding the wind and the waves and he was doing things that were supernatural. And so Peter said, I want to get in on this. I want to experience it. And so Jesus said this one word, come. I want to say to you that that one word perhaps is the most important word in this whole text. Come. Because on that word is the pressing of his faith. On that word is the promise of provision. On that word is the experience of doing something supernatural. None of those things happen without that one word. Come. And think of how small, four letters. 
Four letters is all Jesus said. And the Bible says that Peter lifted up his leg and he climbed out of the boat. With four simple letters, one simple word, Peter supernaturally walked on the water. Church, what matters is not what you see. What matters is what God said. Doesn't matter what you see. I mean, it matters, but it only matters up to the point at what Jesus said. Because when Jesus says it, it's going to happen. And there are people who say, you can't thwart the plan of God. Oh, yes, you can. Read your Bible. The Israelites were never intended to walk through the wilderness for 40 years. That was not God's plan. It was their disobedience that caused them to walk through the desert or through the wilderness for 40 years. God's plan was deliverance into a land flowing with milk and honey. It was not God's plan for Israel to have a king in Saul. He gave them Saul because the people cried out for a king and they wanted somebody to lead them because they were rejecting the leadership of God. That wasn't his plan. And so you can thwart God's plan, not in that you can overpower him, but you can do things in your own way to the point at which you cause God to say, okay, I'll let you have it your way. We'll just be, we'll just be Burger King today. Your way. Have it your way. And then after we travel that long distance around, we get back and we say, okay, God, I'm ready. Right? Can I just say to you, you can take the long way or the short way. The short way is always easier. It's always less painful. Does that make sense? And so Jesus said, come. And when he said, come, Peter lifted up his leg, stepped over the side of the boat, and he was walking on the water. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Peter is walking on the water, and I'm thinking in my mind, he's going, dude, I'm walking on water. This is incredible. I mean, he's so excited because of what's going on, and he's looking at Jesus, and he's like, Jesus, we're all on water. Can you believe this? And Jesus is like, well, yeah, I'm kind of making this happen. And then the Bible says that something happened. Peter started uh, to go towards Jesus, but when he saw the strength of the wind, when he saw the strength of the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink. So in other words, he was doing fine, and then he looked at what was in front of him. He saw the strength of the wind. He probably, which probably means he would have heard the boat sloshing around. He would have heard the, the, you know, the, the sound of it whipping through the, uh, uh, the, the, uh, the air. He would have seen the waves white capping over. And what he saw, when he saw the strength of the wind, he forgot the strength of the one who called him. If you forget the strength of the one you call, who calls you, it's most often because you see the strength of everything else. The strength of the wind is nothing Compared to the one who called. How do we know this? Because if you fast forward to the end of the story, Jesus gets in the boat with Peter and the storm 
ceases. There was another time where Jesus was in the same kind of boat. They were going across the Sea of Galilee. The winds started to, to, to come up against them, and the boat was in such a desperate shape because of the storm that it was flooded with water, and they were going to drown. These are fishermen who know how to be in the sea, and it was so bad that they themselves thought they were going to drown. It was a bad situation. They looked back, and Jesus was taking a nap on the back of the boat. He was just snoozing. And they actually woke him up and said, Jesus, don't you even care? We're going to drown. Do something. And Jesus, I think, he goes, <sighs> he stood up. He goes, and instantly this crazy storm just goes flat. Because he has power over every earthly thing. Not just earthly thing, he's got power over everything. The Bible tells us that everything on earth, under the earth, and above the earth are all subject to his authority. And so Jesus said, come. His words should have been enough. But Peter started looking at the strength of the wind, and his faith and his doubt were suddenly in conflict. That's where you might be today. That's where you might find yourself. You might find yourself in the, in the battle between, I know what I heard God say, but man, it just doesn't seem like. And God says this. He says, hang on to what I've said. In the scripture, we have multiple cases where this has happened. If you will, turn over into Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4 recounts the story of an Old Testament hero by the name of Abraham. And in Romans chapter 4, looking at verse 3, for what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness. What did he believe God on? Well, God said to Abraham, Abraham, you're going to be the father of many nations. You're going to have so many children and so many descendants that they will outnumber all of the sands on the seashore. Now, today I want you to go out to the beach and I want you to walk along the seashore and I want you to count the number of sands. But only do it in one square foot. Can you do it? No, you can't count the number of grains of sand in one square foot of sand. I mean, I guess you could technically, but, but you'd be there for a long, long time. Jesus, or God said to Abraham, you will have so many descendants, they'll be like the sands on the seashore. Not just for one square foot, but for thousands and thousands of square foot, feet. And the problem was this. Abraham said, okay, God, I believe you. But the reality was, Abraham was 100 years old. And his wife was not too far behind. And the Bible says that her womb was closed. Her womb was old. And so Abraham believed God. Go into verse um, 13. For the promise to Abraham or to his descendants that he would inherit the world was not, not through the law, but through the righteousness that comes by faith, right? So the promise, the promise was, came through faith. The fulfillment of the promise came through faith. Um, and then if you'll skip down to verse 16, this is why the promise is by faith, so that it may be according to grace to guarantee it to all descendants, not only to those who are of the law, but also those who are of Abraham's faith. 
He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. He is our father in God's sight in whom Abraham believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls things into existence that do not exist. He believed, hoping against hope, so that he became the father of many nations according to what has been spoken, not according to what's been seen. So will your descendants be? He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body to be already dead, since he was about 100 years old, and also the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver in unbelief as God promised, as God's promise, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God because he was fully convinced that what God had promised, he was able also to do. I want you to take that verse and write it somewhere. That you believe that God is able to do what he said he would do. Now here's the challenging part. I don't think that Abraham never questioned what's going on. In fact, I know he questioned it. Because we know that he was given to a servant, to, a con- uh, to a, a, another in the household, right? And God said, well, I, I had a plan for you, and yet you're going to go try to make your own way. Now, Sarah was a part of that. You've got to go into the story to see it. But still, Abraham, if he, if he was fully in belief, 100%, never doubting, he never would have stepped in with this other woman. And so it's not that you'll never doubt. It's the overall trajectory. It's the overall picture. It's the overall, um, um, f- uh, the overall belief that we're talking about here. So you're going to have times of faith, great faith, times of questioning, did God say? You're going to go back and forth and back and forth. We need to stay on this side the majority of the time, though. So that when we get over to the side of not believing God, we simply go back and say, okay, Who is God? What did he say? Am I being obedient? And we need to crush that fear, crush that doubt, and say, okay, Lord, even though I don't see it, I will still believe it. But here's the trick, okay? It's not really a trick, but here's the problem. Sometimes, if not oftentimes, we say God said and God didn't say. That's when there's a problem. Essentially what we're doing is we are wanting our will to be so bad That we take scripture and we look through scripture, finding something to proof text our own belief. And say, oh, there it is. There's a promise for God. This one's for me. And we ignore the other things that God says, but we try to make it into our own. And as a result, we're believing in something God did not say. And if God didn't say it, you can't trust it. Amen? That's where it's difficult. I can't tell you the things that I pursued thinking that God said to do it. And afterwards, I'm like, whew, that didn't work out so well. And God was like, yeah, I didn't tell you to do that. You wanted to do it, so you fit it into your own mindset of what you wanted to do. And I let you go on and do it because I wanted to teach you some things. So it's not like it's irredeemable, but it's still painful. But I can also tell you this. The times when I know that I know that I know that I heard the voice of God, it has always come to pass. So your job and my job is simply to ask, did he say come? That's it. 
Because if he says to come, then God will be faithful. Amen? So in your life, what is he telling you to do? Where is his, where is his faithfulness showing up in your life? What, what has he said? You, you, you might be saying, you know, God doesn't have anything special for me. Yeah, he does. If we believe the scripture, he knew your life before you were even born. Before you, ever, you were even a thought in your mother's mind, God has ordained the steps of your life. God has a purpose and he has a plan. The question is, what is that purpose and what is that plan? And, 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 and you don't have to be on a stage for God to use you. In fact, some of the most powerful, godly people on the planet are nobodies in nowhere land doing nothing of significance in our own eyes, but eternally the significance outweighs anything we can imagine. I'm telling you, there are people all over this world that God is using in phenomenal ways that look very, very ordinary. Because sometimes it's the ordinary thing that prepares the way for the extraordinary. And if somebody doesn't do the ordinary here, the extraordinary never gets to happen. You follow me? And guess what? When you stand before God the Father, you know what he, you know what he says? He says, well, you did something awesome, so good job. Yeah, you kind of helped. No, no. He goes, both of you get the same reward. Why? Because it took you and it took you in accordance with my purpose and my plan. Here's what I like. Peter started to sink and he cried out to God, Lord, save me. His, his doubt quickly moved back to faith. Lord, save me. You're the only one that can. See how cool that is? So going back and forth, don't beat yourself up over it. Just make sure you end up on the side of faith. Just make sure you get back to the side of going, okay, Lord, I'm just going to trust you. I'm just going to trust you. I'm just going to trust you. And when that happens, Jesus reached out, grabs him. They get into the boat, and the very last part of this text says this. If I can get my fingers to work properly. Uh, just talk amongst yourselves. It might take a minute. My goodness. Somebody want to read that to me? The very last, then those in the boat worshipped him and said, truly you are the son of God. Listen. Peter was full of faith, full of doubt, full of faith. And because that was on display, it bolstered the faith of those who were watching. Never forget that you are being watched. Never forget that everything you do, somebody's seeing. And it doesn't really good, do any good to pretend that you don't ever doubt. What's really good is to say, you know what? I had these questions and then God proved himself faithful. Because there's always somebody farther down the line who isn't as mature as you are in their faith. And they're watching you to know how to respond and know how to react and know what to think. And so you're an example of God's goodness to them. And guess what? If they continue to mature in their faith, they're going to be the example to those who follow them. That's why in Hebrews 11 we have this thing called a hall of 
faith, right? And it goes down the list. By faith, Abraham. By faith, Enoch. By faith, by faith, by faith. Your name will be written in that list somewhere eventually. My name will be written in that list somewhere if we choose to live by faith. So this morning, I want to invite you. What has God called you to? If he's called you, place 100% confidence that he will do exactly what he says he will do. And I should mention this. It's usually not fast. And it's usually not easy. And it's usually with a little bit of stress. I honestly think God sits up there and he says, all right, I'm just going to extend this out just a little bit. I'm just going to hold out just a little bit. No, 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 just give him a little, a, little bit, a little bit more. And the angels are like, come on, let us help. No, 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 just time out, time out, time out. And then at the very last moment, you're like, Lord, save me. And we're sinking, and, Jesus, and God's like, okay, now you can go help him. Right? I really think he does that because he, he stretches us, because he loves us. When I was teaching Josh how to dive, I did the same thing. I would intentionally watch him struggle. I would intentionally put him in pressure situations because he didn't know if he could do it until he had to do it. But I also knew I wasn't going to let him drown. Don't you do that with your kids? Because you love your kids. Don't you think God loves you this just the same? Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would help us today to know your voice. God, I pray that you would help us to be patient. Lord, we are always on a faster timetable than you, it seems. Father, I pray that you would help us to get alone with you and to hear you. I pray that you would help us, God, to be aware of our own humanity, our own weaknesses and struggles. God, I pray that you would help us to wrestle with our doubt and with our fear and turn it over to the one who is Lord over all. And God, I pray that you would help us to hear your voice to come to you. And us be able to get out of the boat and come to you. Lord, I pray this for your name's sake, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, what has God called you to do? What is he, what is he speaking to you about? Maybe... Maybe he's saying to you, you've never trusted me as Lord and Savior. You know, the Bible says that it's appointed unto men once to die. That means there's a day that you will die. There's a day that I will die. And the moment we die, we will stand before the judge of the earth. We will stand before God, and he is going to declare us righteous or unrighteous. And it's not based on how we lived. It's based on whether or not we have yielded our lives to Christ and so when you stand before him, are you able to say, I have trusted Jesus Christ? If you can't say that, I want to invite you to do that today. For the rest of us, if we know Christ and yet we're not walking in obedience or maybe God's called us to something and we're kind of just staying back from it, would you trust in his voice and start moving towards what he's called you to do? It's a good ride. It really is. A little scary, but he's a good God. Amen. Let's stand together. Find out more about First Baptist.
Church, go for